Hello. The music is It's a Long Way to Tipperary. And this is Dr. Bethany Kilcrease of the History Department at Aquinas College. I just thought I would make another sample podcast entry here and talk about the question, when was the Great War? Which might seem like a fairly straightforward question if we're talking about World War I, although other wars in the past had been called the Great War. But if we're talking about World War I, the answer, when was the Great War, probably seems fairly obvious. The standard date given for the start of the war is July 28, 1914, and the standard date given for the end of the war is November 11th, uh, the armistice going into effect at 11 a.m. in 1918. So that would be four years, three months, and two weeks of World War I. However, some historians recently have called attention to the fact that we're missing out on a lot if we just think of the World War within that very strict and narrow time frame. Some scholars, especially a historian at the University College of Dublin named Robert Gewirth, has suggested we talk not about the Great War, but about the Greater War of 1912 through 1923. The idea here is that we can get a better sense of both what happened prior to World War I and how that relates to it and the conflicts that grew directly out of World War I if we expand the chronology a little bit. And Oxford University Press actually has a new book series of historical monographs coming out, and the series is entitled The Greater War Series. So be looking for those as they come out, edited again by the historian Robert Gewirth and John Horn. Aside from that plug, let's just think for a second, though, about this greater war idea. The idea is that a good place to start talking about World War I is actually not with the outbreak of the actual conflict when Austria-Hungary initiates war with Serbia on July 28, 1914, but rather to go back, back further than the assassination of Archduke Ferdinand, all the way back to perhaps 1912. And you may say, what was happening in 1912? We could perhaps go even further back to conflicts like the Italo-Turkish War of 1911 through 1912. But what's happening in 1912 that's important, for one, is the First Balkan War. And the Balkan Wars are going to lead us directly into World War I. What happens is following the Italo-Turkish War of 1911 through 12, the Balkan League, which is this group of little Balkan states, including Serbia, Bulgaria, Montenegro, and Greece, they decide to try and push the Muslim Ottoman Empire out of the Balkans, and they pretty much succeed about doing that. But the problem is success breeds dissension, and the members of the Balkan League, uh, very quickly after winning this war, already in 1913, start fighting and they're squabbling over the territory they've won by pushing the Ottoman Empire out of the Balkans. Bulgaria had been the big winner in the First Balkan War. And so what happens is the other members of the Balkan League now decide to form an alliance with the Ottoman Empire, of all people, in order to gang up on Bulgaria and try and carve some of that territory now away from Bulgaria. Long story short, they succeed, and the Treaty of Bucharest 
1913, winds up altering the borders of Bulgaria to Bulgaria's detriment, obviously. This results in a stronger Serbia. Serbia now has more territory, more people. And, consequently, the Habsburg Austro-Hungarian Empire has more fear of Serbian power. Even though Serbia is bigger, though, the results of the Second Balkan War in 1913 are not enough to satisfy Serbian nationalists, who still want all Serbs to be in a single nation-state, this idea of Serbdom that is held dear by Serbian nationalists. Moving forward, we have the infamous assassination of the Archduke uh, Ferdinand, which was organized by the Black Hand Serbian Nationalist Organization. And the date often given for the start of World War I again is June 28, 1914. Uh, you could maybe argue uh, perhaps it's August 4th when we should say the war really started, because that's when the last European great power, um, Britain, enters the war, declaring war on Germany. But in any case, uh, the war begins and continues until we start to have some of the combatants dropping out and surrendering. And initially, it's actually not the central powers, Germany, Austria, Hungary, and the Ottoman Empire, and Bulgaria, who surrender, but at first, it's some of the Allied powers who wind up surrendering to the central powers. The first one out is Russia. And so on December 15, 1917, Lenin's communist government in Russia now, which has taken power just recently in the famous October Revolution, winds up signing a ceasefire with Germany and a formal treaty between Russia and the Central Powers, which has Russia surrendering a great deal of territory is signed shortly thereafter on March 3, 1918. Following the Russian example, then, Romania formally surrenders to the Central Powers in the Treaty of Bucharest on May 7, 1918. However, as you probably know, the tables turned, and pretty soon the Central Powers become the ones who are surrendering. Bulgaria becomes the first Central Power to surrender on September 30th, 1918. The Ottomans then surrender and sign an armistice on October 30th, 1918. And November 2nd, Austria-Hungary signs an armistice with the Allies, which goes into effect on November 4th. All this before Germany signs an armistice uh, with the Allies. And so if you want to think about when did the war end, it actually depends in part on where or who you are or where you were um, at the time. Of course, the day usually given for the end of the war comes on November 11th, 1918, at 11 a.m. in the morning, when the armistice between the Allies and Germany officially went into effect. However, of course, an armistice is not technically an end to a war. It's a ceasefire, so to speak. And this particular armistice or ceasefire with Germany actually had to be extended, formally extended, three times while... Allies were trying to hammer out terms of the treaty with Germany and the other central powers in Paris at the Paris Peace Conference in 1919. And so, actually, technically, peace with Germany does not go into effect officially until 4.15 p.m. on January 10, 1920. And all this time in between the armistice, which was way back November 11, 1918, and peace finally becoming official, January 10th, 1920, we have the Paris Peace Conference going on with the great powers and the representatives in Paris 
coming up with peace treaties with each of the major Central Power combatants. So, of course, everybody always talks about the Treaty of Versailles with Germany, signed June 28, 1919. But after that treaty is signed, then we have a number of other treaties with the other Central Powers, Austria, and then Bulgaria, and then uh, Hungary has its own uh, treaty as well. It's broken away from Austria in the meanwhile. And then the treaty with Turkey, which will quickly become null and void, as we see, signed August 10th, 1920. Meanwhile, while all of this is happening in Paris, events are quickly moving on elsewhere. Yeah, if you want to read an interesting book about this, Margaret Macmillan's Paris 1919 talks about this really nicely, that in Paris it was very hard for the representatives to actually keep up with what was happening on the ground, especially in Eastern Europe. But even in Western Europe, in the British Isles, there was conflict growing directly out of World War I that continued right through the Paris Peace Conference and into the 1920s. For example, beginning with the Dublin Rising, or the failed Easter Rising of 1916, Irish nationalists have been in tension and in some form of guerrilla conflict with the British authorities. This leads, simmers over eventually, into the Irish War of Independence, um, fought a guerrilla-style war between the Irish Republican Army and the British Army, and some temporary constables between 1919 and 1921. This will eventually give us the Irish Free State, a dominion created by the Anglo-Irish Treaty in 1922. However, not all Irish nationalists were happy with this solution, and so as a result we get an Irish Civil War fought immediately thereafter, uh, between 1922 and 23, between pro-treaty and anti-treaty Irish nationalists. Now, the provisional free state government, the pro-treaty forces, do eventually win. Moving further east, Germany is also in upheaval while the Paris Peace Conference is meeting. Actually, before they even really get going with the meetings in Paris, starting in December of 1918, we have the Greater Poland Uprising, sometimes called uh, the Poznanian War, Right, taking place in the German province of Posen, where we have Posen rebelling, the Poles in Posen, rebelling against the German government. Right? The idea being that the ethnic Poles in this German province, Posen, want to join together with Poland as a new country. And so these Poles begin making plans immediately after Wilhelm's abdication on November 9, 1918, to stage an uprising and join Poland, which they do on December 27th. This uprising occurs while the peace conference is meeting in Paris, and the Allies actually respond by just giving Poland the areas in rebellion, in addition to some other German border areas. Moving further east, we see Hungary also beset by civil war in the aftermath of World War I. In Hungary, we briefly have a Hungarian Communist Party take control of the country, and they gain popularity primarily by saying that they will not accept uh, any borders handed down by the Paris Peace Conference, that they will defend Hungary's uh, pre-war borders against any decisions made in Paris, um, which they do. However, we also have conflict over Transylvania, which leads to a Hungarian civil war and then war with Romania in 1919, in addition to the Hungarian Communist Party fighting against and attacking Czechoslovakia and other areas trying to maintain their pre-war borders. In the end, Romanians do enter Hungary 
and communist Hungary and the Soviet Republic there uh, collapses. And Romania then winds up with Transylvania and Hungary with a new leader. Meanwhile, moving even further east, uh, conflicts continue. Most infamously, probably, uh, we have some other German conflicts, the failed Spartacus Revolution, which was an attempted communist uprising in January 1919, the failed Bavarian Soviet Republic in April of 1919, and the abortive Ruhr uprising in April 1920, all of which failed. Of course, we had the successful Russian Communist Revolution in 1917, which triggered the Russian Civil War then, which lasts between 1917 and 1922. And this war is in Russia between the Reds, or the Russian Communists, and the Whites, who are supporters of the Old Order. And the Whites themselves are supported by Britain, France, Japan, and the USA. In the end, by 1921-22, Lenin and the Communists have won. However, that's not the end of attempts to spread communism, because immediately, as the war in the West is winding down, the new Soviet Union begins what's known as the Soviet Western Offensive between November 1918 and March 1919. Russian communists like Leon Trotsky, who was in charge of the Red Army, wanted to provoke an international communist revolution, and their idea was to sort of take the Russian Revolution on the road and launch a military offensive to the West, uh, sparking, they think, communist revolutions in other uh, more Western countries. The first phase of this is the Soviet Western Offensive, as mentioned, and this triggers the Soviet-Estonian War, which includes the Estonian War of Independence and the Latvian War of Independence. There's also an offensive uh, by the Soviet Union against Eastern and Central Europe, which includes the Lithuanian Soviet War and the Polish Soviet War. Meanwhile, Poland is trying to recreate itself as an independent nation-state, and to do that, it's got to carve out its borders, and this involves a lot of fighting as well. So we have a Polish-Ukrainian War, a Polish-Czechoslovak War, and a Polish-Lithuanian War, all taking place between roughly um, the very end of 1918 and 1920. Moving further to the south and east, we have the Turkish War of Independence, which lasts from 1919 until finally 1923. Uh, what happens is as the war winds down, Turkish nationalists are unhappy with the way the Ottoman Emperor has um, functioned at the Paris Peace Conference, among other things. And we get conflict between Turkish nationalists and Greece and the occupation of Smyrna. This turns into the Turkish War of Independence, where we have the Turks fighting Armenians, French, Greeks, Italians, uh, and pro-imperial Ottoman forces in an attempt to reclaim Turkish Anatolian territory. The war with the Greeks is called the Greco-Turkish War, which lasts basically 1919-1922, and basically Ataturk winds up driving the Greeks out of Anatolia with his nationalist army. The result of this is that the treaty with Turkey that the allies at the Paris Peace Conference had just made, like they had just made it, it winds up getting annulled, and a new treaty with Turkey is signed, July 24th, now 1923, which finally in 1923, officially, ends World War I between the Turks and the Allies. And we could actually go on and talk about the Middle Eastern settlement of 1922 and the fallout there and further future conflicts. But it's fairly obvious to see 
that even though World War I had ended, on the Western Front, perhaps, the actual fighting for the most part, in late 1918, people were still fighting all over Eastern Europe. And this was really seen as a springtime of nations for many new nation states in Eastern Europe. So, it's the Great War, yes, but maybe in another sense, it's a good idea to also think of this as the Greater War, because the fighting doesn't actually start in 1914, and neither does it really end in 1918. So maybe it's better to take a broader perspective to put things in their proper place. On that note, let's let some bagpipe music take us out. This is the Battle of the Somme, which was written in the trenches. So, thank you for listening. Have a nice day.